0: I believe with my entire heart is, is I'm so grateful to my pastor that uh, when I finally had just been been faithful and coming to church and reading my Bible, and he's been working through things, one of the things he never allowed me to do was to get uh, books from someone else. Uh, We were never allowed uh, regular Baptist press books or all that stuff to come in and teach our Sunday school classes, but what he required of us as Sunday school teachers, is we had to write our own Sunday school lessons, and we had to turn those into him, and he'd review those, and he'd give those back to us, and he would say uh, that he uh, thought we had ourself together in it, and all of our Sunday school classes were recorded, and he would listen to those recordings, and uh, specifically, he he stuck with me hard, because uh, uh, I would go in, and I'd read, I'd study, and I'd think I'd gotten it, and Sure enough, I hadn't gotten it the way that, that I should have. And uh, he said, You need to do a little more study. And he would never do that publicly. He would always pull me in privately. He would sit down with me. He would talk with me. He'd say, He wouldn't tell me exactly what I did wrong, but one of the things he would do is say, I want you to go back and study that passage a little bit harder. Why don't you get your concordance out and look up a few words before uh, you do that? And, and one of the things he made us do was really study. Now. I'm grateful today for that, and that's not why I'm a pastor, but it made me more of a student of the Word of God. And I believe everybody ought to be a student of the Word of God. I think we ought to study to show ourselves approved unto whom? God, a workman that needed not to be shamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. You need to be in the Scriptures. And I believe to be spiritually healthy, you need to be in the Scriptures. But in addition to that, God wants to use you in the church. He wants to use your life, and you think, well, I don't hold a position, or I don't have a title in the church. You know that doesn't matter. What matters is, is that you understand that you're a Christian, and God wants to use your life to be a lesson to other people around you. Now, it's evident here that that's exactly what he's talking about, and he's writing this letter to Titus, and he's talking about the fact that these spiritually mature people have a responsibility to reach out to others, and to be an example to others, and he gives some pretty uh, factual characteristic traits that ought to be in the lives of men and women and young people. And he says, these ought to be present in your life. And so as we go into the book of Titus, uh, we see some things here. And being sound in the faith led Paul to speak to these specific roles of men and women and uh, and who is involved in the ministry in the local New Testament church and and the subject of sound. You ought to underline that uh, where it says, but be, speak thou things which become sound doctrine. He uses that word sound multiple times, not only in the book of Titus, but over in the book of Timothy. And you look that word up, and he keeps continually speaking this of being sound. And that word sound comes up in the letters from Paul to Timothy and to Titus, and it's pertaining to faith or the lack of faith to those they minister to and those that minister. And sound doctrine, and I want you to get a hold of this, sound doctrine and faith cannot be separated. (laughs) The two are not, uh, you can't separate the two. You have to be sound in doctrine and you'll be sound in your faith. And, And so you can't separate those two out because to be sound is to be wholesome and to be healthy. And I believe to be wholesome and healthy, you need to be sound in what you're being taught and what you're teaching. And so whatever you're being taught, you need to study. You need to go back and look at the scriptures. And you need to say, is this sound in doctrine? Is this sound in its teaching? And and so uh, to be sound is to really go and study and know. And this is what I'm sharing with you. Your faith is impacted by what you're taught. Would you agree with that tonight? Your faith is impacted by what you're taught. And here's the thing. So what I'm being taught, I need to check it out against one book. It's called the Bible. And so what I'm learning, I need to make sure it lines up with this book. Amen? And so if I'm going to teach then, I need to make sure the things that are coming out of my mouth line up with what? This book. And so whether I'm teaching or being taught, things need to line up with the Word of God. And so this is the challenge that He's set before Titus here. And Paul writes that many will not endure being sound, which requires uh, they are spiritually healthy in their teaching and spiritually healthy in their scriptures and spiritually healthy in their faith. They will not endure sound doctrine. The reason they don't endure sound doctrine is because it doesn't appeal to the flesh sometimes. Amen? It just doesn't. Sound doctrine doesn't always make us feel good, but it's truthful and it's words to live by. So here I challenge you with this thought tonight. Are you spiritually healthy as a Christian? Are you spiritually healthy as a Christian? So sound doctrine, I believe, is the key to that spiritual health force. And there's three groups of people that he speaks to here. He talks about the mature Christian men. He talks about the mature Christian women. And he talks about the mature young men in the church. And so first, let's look at these spiritually mature men in verses 1 and 2. He said, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and in charity and patience. Listen, sound in doctrine and sound in what? Faith, isn't it? Healthy in both areas, strong in both areas. And he's saying the mature Christians ought to be this way. So the aged men play a role in the life of other Christians. And they play a role in their lives, and it's required that they talk in a manner that leads others to remain healthy in their faith. The conversations that you men have with other people ought to encourage them to remain healthy in their faith, sound in their faith. And that comes through encouraging them to read their Bibles, to read the truth of God's Word, and then take what they've read and put it into practice. God's Word is not a passive book, it's an active book. It's a book that once we read it, we're to take what we've learned and we're put it into action. And so there's, you'll find here in just a moment, a lot of action words take place here. The conversation that you have, the lessons that you teach, or the words that you speak, would be healthy teachings to others. So because you're not here at the church at the time, and you may talk to a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker, or you may be speaking to a family or a neighbor or whatever the case may be, One of the goals would be to bring Christ into the mix of things. You say, how do you do that? And and, and listen, Jesus dealt in everyday things. He was going to get a cup of water. And he dealt with a woman with her spiritual condition over a cup of water. And so you can get to the subject of those spiritual things. And I know we get busy, and I know we got things on our mind, I know we got things to do, but one of the things is, is that we ought to constantly have that on our mind. Specifically, when we come into a classroom environment, or we're in a preaching situation, we want people to become healthy in their faith. And they can only do that via the Word of God. So the life that we live, and the words that we speak, are words that would help you and others live that healthy Christian life. So Consider how many others you men talk to from just one Sunday to the next. How many people do you talk to? And of the people that you've spoken to throughout that week, how many of them have you had a good, strong, spiritual conversation with them from one Sunday to the next? And I just want you to think about your lives, not just inside the church, because, you know, folks, we teach outside the church, too. And we can reach people, and we can speak to them. And listen... I don't believe Mrs. Blumenstock just suddenly got saved this morning. I think people invested in her first. Would you agree? There was prayer went up. You know what I'm saying? Someone reached out to her. And God worked collectively through the church to get that person to that place where they trust Jesus Christ as Savior. It takes this family to make that happen. And so what happens is, is when you're out from Sunday to Sunday, what are you doing? Knowing that the doctrine is what you teach, what do you teach others by the words that you speak, but really by the life that you lead? What do you say to them? How how does your life speak to other people? What would it say about you when you're not here? And so I'm challenging you tonight to consider how many others you talk to from Sunday to Sunday. The mature Christian men or the aged, the older men, need to set a good example for others in the church. And they're to strive toward a goal of avoiding false teachings and help correct whenever there's error. If there's an error, it's not that you make a big deal about it, but you come to that individual and you talk to them. You share with them. You help them understand. i got to tell you, I am enjoying my Sunday school class immensely right now. Immensely enjoying my Sunday school class. These folks, I had no idea how many questions they had about the Scriptures. I had no idea how much they wanted to know. And as I'm talking with them, and uh, there's an open dialogue in there, and they can ask questions openly, and they don't feel uh, thwarted in any way, they begin to ask questions that just absolutely astound me. I just pray to God, Lord, give me the wisdom, and Lord, if I don't have it, help me find it. Amen? And the thing is, is that you'd be surprised how we just think people just know, and they don't. (laughs) We have to teach them, we have to disciple them, we have to help them along. And so they are to strive toward a goal of avoiding false teaching, but help correct any errors. And Paul gives Titus a short list of traits that these men are to have. And they're to teach others how to live a spiritually healthy Christian life. Now these are all preceded, if you notice there, he said, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be. That is the verb, to be. So there's action to this word, okay? And so there's action that needs to take place. When it says be, it said be sober. That idea has the idea that you need to be watchful and on guard. And so there's some action there, isn't it? If I'm watching or I'm on guard, I'm actively doing something, aren't I? And so he says these aged men need to be vigilant, uh, keeping, uh, keeping a watch uh, and a watchful eye out for any kind of dangers in respect to the church or the scriptures. And they themselves need to be mature enough that they can hear this or see this. And it's not that we hurt other people, but we help other people and we teach them truth. And then he tells them to be great, be honest, being one that would be worthy of respect. And we ought to be honest men. We ought to be honest men. (laughs) We ought to be able to have others look at us and say, that is an honest man. And and listen, that's a part of what the Scriptures are teaching us to be and to behave like. He said, be temperate. We ought to have some self-control. And and, and really, I dug a little deeper into this, and and the idea is as moderate as to opinion or passion. You're you're moderate in your opinion. Because believe me, there's not a single solitary person in here that doesn't have an opinion. Would you agree? We all have opinions. But we ought to be moderate in our opinions, but we ought to be factual about truth. Amen? We ought to know what it says and and, and be modest and not really try to to really overtake someone. Be discreet, be wise, be prudent in your nature. You, You don't have to be overbearing to try to help someone. You need to help them along. And then he tells us this. Not only to be uh, sober and be grave, be tempered, be sound in faith. These are men who are healthy in their faith. They're strong in their understanding of truth. And they can clearly communicate it to others. Listen to me, folks. As a saved individual, we need to know how to share the gospel with other people. We should. We ought to have a testimony because if you got saved, you have a testimony. You can use that testimony for Jesus Christ. And then you can bring them to the place where you have that necessary eternal conversation with them that eternal conversation is about where their soul will spend eternity and folks if there is anything that should cause us to rise up as believers that should be the thing that causes us to be motivated the most but be sound in it know it he says be charitable affectionate and benevolent toward others and this is having an active love for God, having an active love for Jesus Christ, having an active love for God's people that you're around. And it's not a passive thing; it's an active thing. And so when He tells us that we ought to be charitable, we ought to be affectionate and benevolent. And then He tells us, and fellows, this is the hard one. The pastor struggles in this area a lot. He said, "Be patient." How many of you struggle with patience sometimes? Man, that's a struggle for me from time to time. And when I look at the patient, this has the idea of cheerful, hopeful, perseverance. <laughs> when I'm in a situation that I have to be patient, I don't know whether I'm hopeful and cheerful. I can promise you I'm not most of the time. When it says you have to be patient, do you ever know when you go to the doctor's office, what do they call us when we walk into a doctor's office? What do they call us? Victims. Yes, victims. Yes. I like that, Jim. And they call us patients, right? And you know, I've sat in a doctor's office and I have run out of patience sometimes with doctors. Have you ever done that? It's important that I arrive at a specific time to be in their office so that I can have my appointment at this time. But if I am late, sometimes they'll charge me for my lateness or they'll say, well, we had to cancel your appointment because you were late. But he has no problem in letting me sit out there for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, And my appointment was at 1, and he's now seeing me at 3. And then they put me in the room at 3, and at 3 o'clock, I'm sitting in the room thinking, this was a 1 o'clock appointment. And I'm sitting in the room now, and while I'm sitting in the room, I'm thinking, how much longer am I going to sit in this room? One day, Brother Mike, I got so impatient, I got up and walked out, and I said, do you know how much longer it's going to be before he comes in here? Because I got tired of being patient. (laughs) Here's the thing. This is a cheerful, hopeful perseverance. It's endurance. You know, men that are older in years, we ought to be mature in faith too. And part of that is, is these things that he's given to us. And we need to be more mature in our faith and stay spiritually healthy. And, and, and listen... Stay under good, solid preaching. Stay under the Bible. Read your word. Uh, God has given it unto us. It's his love letter to us. Stay in, it. Stay in your prayer time. Stay in your devotion time. Listen, the more you do that, the healthier you're going to be as a Christian, and the more useful you will be to our Savior. A spiritually healthy Christian man, I believe with all of my heart, desires to please the Lord, not only in what we say, but in what we do. The second one he discusses is this. The aged women play a major role in the life of other women, spiritually mature women. Now, fellas, I just want you to know, he only gave us two verses. He gave them four. Amen? (laughs) So, I'm just saying, Chris, he only gave us two. That's because we got a short attention span. (laughs) Here it is in verse 3. He said, the aged women likewise. Now, what is he saying when he says the aged women likewise? they too have a responsibility, just like the men do in the local church. Amen? And so he's saying you got a responsibility. The older ladies or the spiritually mature women of the church have a responsibility to teach the young women the truth about their role as a Christian woman. I loved uh, Brother Tolson has a blog, and he put that out, and man, I'm really enjoying his blog, our, our, our missionary, brother Mark Tolson. And, and he was talking about, somehow or another, we've gotten really confused today because... Uh, You know, we we say that there needs to be equality. God has given equal playing field for both men and women who are saved. We just have different roles in the local church. (laughs) And somehow or another, that's an offense to people because God has given us different roles. (laughs) Man, he wrote it so eloquently. You need to go back and read it. And it's wonderfully written. And one of the things I'm looking at here, Paul starts with traits of the elder women and the traits they are to possess. And again, these are all preceded by the word to, uh, the verb to be. It's an action word. He said they need to be in behavior as becometh godliness. Holiness, I mean. Their life, their lifestyle, uh, their actions. They should be reverent, respectful, and devoted to the Lord and to their families. They ought to have that kind of a spirit about them. <laughs> and so he says, behavior as becometh, holiness now he told the men uh, that they speak things thou things which become sound doctrine he tells the women listen behavior that becometh holiness how you behave how you act matters the things that you do matter ladies and so he says do those things in your life in your lifestyle those actions that are reverent respectful and devoted to the lord and he says be not false accusers and that has the idea of being uh, to avoid being malicious spiteful unkind cruel with an intent to hurt other people. Now, he says slanderous because he's saying oftentimes that happens just with words. And he's saying, ladies, be careful with your words that they don't become malicious and and with spite and unkindness and all those kinds of things. He said, be careful with that. And and he goes on to explain uh, to these women who are to be teaching, he said, be not given to much wine. And personally, pastors of the thought of avoid alcohol because the Bible says wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a raging, and I'm saying, whenever I've been around people who are drunk, uh, I, I see them behave in such a manner that leads to malicious behavior times. And, and it becomes very spiteful in nature, and unkind in nature. And I've been around people who do those kinds of things, and when I see this, he says this, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Because they're deceived by this drink, by this alcohol. And and, and it leads them down a path of poor behavior. And then he said, be teachers of good things. Training young women what is right and what is proper. And so you do that, not just by what you say, but how you behave. So they have to maintain the Christian character traits for the purpose that they may teach the young women. And so he's saying, you have a responsibility, ladies. And you have a responsibility in your homes, but in your local church as well. And you do this by words you speak and the life that you lead. And it speaks volumes to others. And he talks about the qualities that they are to teach to these young women, which they themselves should possess. I would believe they would possess these qualities if, in fact, they're going to teach them to others. And it comes up to this. Be sober. (laughs) And the idea is it's not about alcohol, but it has to be a sound mind, to be disciplined. And you go and you read First Peter, and think about what it says in First Peter 5, 8. He said, be sober, be vigilant. Why do we have to be sober and be vigilant? Why do we have to have a sound mind? Why do we have to stay after it? Because your adversary, what? The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So when he's writing to Titus and he's saying, please communicate this to the ladies of the church, that they need to know that they need to be sober-minded themselves. They need to love their husbands. That idea of loving their husbands is to have an affectionate or a fond, adoring devotion. That type of love toward their husband. And then it says to have love for their children, but then that word love there is a maternal type love, a nurturing kind of love. With the husband, it has the idea of a, an affection and a fondness, an adoring kind of love. With the children, it's a nurturing, a caring, and loving their children that way. He said to be discreet. That is the idea of being wise and prudent. And it has this idea. Show some self-control. Display some self-control. Now, I, I've shared this with you. And my heart used to ache. I was in uh, Colonial Beach and, and preaching. And there was a young lady that would come in. And she always wanted to sit with her grandparents. Well, her grandparents would sit about in the third row. Not here, down in Colonial Beach. They'd sit about in the third row. They'd sit in a little bit. And she would come in. And when she would come in... She was very loud and boisterous. But when she would come in, she would come in when the preaching had started. And when she would come in, she would come in asking questions. Where is my grandparents? And she's asking everybody. And they're turning around saying, shh. And she would be very, very boisterous. And then whenever she'd get in the row, she would continue talking. And I'm trying to preach. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I'm anybody. But I'm just saying it was very disrespectful to the people around them. She was not very discreet as an individual. When I was at Loudon, another couple was there, and um, they would always want to sit like in in the second row of the church, and they always wanted to sit like over there, but they wouldn't enter in on this side. They would enter in here and excuse themselves all the way down the aisle and wanted to sit in the second row. Now, we were grateful that they were there, but they would arrive after the song service, and pastor would be preaching, and they would walk in. And the wife would be talking to the husband and he would just be hustling down the aisle and all of a sudden she'd be talking to him and all of that. And it wasn't very discreet, if you will. And so I share that with you in this sense. It's to be wise and prudent, displaying some self-control. He said, Chase, that's to maintain purity and innocence. And you know, uh, that's, that's important today. I, I, I had a young lady say to me one day, she goes, You know, women don't even blush today anymore. I was in Colonial Beach again and I was getting out of my car one day and and, uh, as I'm walking over to the grocery store, these two young girls got out and they had to be maybe late teens, maybe in their 20s. And I mean, they were just cussing up a storm. I mean, letting them fly. And as I was walking over, I had my uh, camo outfit on. And as I'm walking over, I got this camo outfit on. I'd been out hunting that day, and and I'm walking, and these two young girls, just letting them fly. And one turns around and looks at the other and said, you better be quiet, there's an old man behind us. And I looked, and I said, man, they're talking about me. But their language, are you with me? No blushing today. There's no, I mean, it's almost gone. And and they don't have that idea of what it means to maintain that purity, that innocence. Now, the Bible says that that you teach them to be keepers of the home, to be domestically inclined, and and to be good housekeepers as well, to take care of the home, to manage the home, to be good literally or morally, in value and virtue for appearance, and and that they have some sort of level of being a little bit distinguished, (laughs) and, and not really just flippant about their spirit, their attitude, their heart. Obedient to their own husbands. This has the idea to be submissive and subject unto. In Ephesians 5.24, the Bible says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is not about anything criminal. This is just simply that God has an order to things, and somehow or another, this is offensive to people today because God set up an order. If you go to the military, guess what's in the military? There's an order to things, isn't there? And you've got leaders, and there's an order to things. And God is a God of order. Would you agree? When you go and you read the the, uh, creation of the world, there's an order to those things. There was an order to how they were to set up the tabernacle, and there was an order to how they did that, and there was an order to how they did the services, and how they made the sacrifices, and the purpose of those sacrifices... There was an order to building the temple and the things that they did in the temple, and there was an order to how they structured that and did all of those things. By the way, there's an order to salvation. Amen? Amen. And a man must be saved to get into heaven. I didn't make the rules. God did. God's the one that laid that out, and he said a man must be saved, amen, to get into heaven. There's an order to things. When these aged women fulfill their role, it has a heavenly purpose. I want you to get a hold of this, ladies. Think about this for just a moment. When you are helpful in these areas, when you are reaching out to other young ladies, when you're trying to show them and teach them these things, notice what it says, that there's a heavenly purpose to this, that the Word of God be not what? Wow. Wow. That's a big responsibility. And so God says to you, ladies, listen, you have a responsibility in the local church to help others. And the reason that you're doing all of these things is not that you might be seen of men, or not that you might be lifted up, but that the Word of God be not blasphemed. Amen? And so the Bible teaches here something very specific. And so when you look at this, a spiritually healthy woman will fulfill the role because she understands the effect that it has on God's local church and what it has on God's word. And so she'll do these things because she understands it. And she does not want to ignore her role. So a spiritually healthy Christian woman desires to please the Lord in word and in deed. Now, Connor, Ben, Mike, Joe, there's something here, Pierre, that says young men, Okay, Now, Timothy was about 40, so when Paul's writing to Titus, uh, or Titus was about 40 uh, when he was writing this. So, I want you to get a hold of this. So, I'm not an old man. I don't care what those two girls said. Amen? (laughs) (laughs) But when I look at this, he said, young men. And so, he's talking to folks that are about 40 and down. (laughs) And he's referring to them. He said, young men, likewise, exhort. Notice what he says next. To be Sober-minded. He's told the men, the women, and now the young men to be sober-minded. And he's telling them what they ought to be. Now, the young men also play a major role in the life of others. Spiritually mature young men, as you can tell, there are many similarities in what he said, both to the aged men, to the aged women, and now what he's saying to these young men. And the subject turns to these young men in a series of responsibilities that these young men have And he begins to expound this to Titus. And he said, let me tell you now, Titus, what I'm expecting, or what God would be expecting. He said, be sober-minded. So, let me hand it to you again. Why would it be important for men, young men, to be sober-minded? Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may what? Devour. And so the Bible teaches whether you're an older mature woman or an older mature man or a young man, we need to be sober-minded. We need to have some self-control in this life. We need to be disciplined. We need to have these things in our life. And a challenge is given to Titus and all the mature young men in the faith. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Listen to me, young men. You are to demonstrate yourself in his example, in value and in virtue to other people. That's what you're supposed to do. Other people ought to be able to see that in your life. And they ought to be able to turn to Christ because of the life that you're leading. And you say, I don't want that responsibility. I'm telling you as a saved man, you got it. And you ought to display that in your life. And you have that responsibility. That idea of being a pattern of good works, these young men are to demonstrate themselves as an example of virtue and value. That word pattern is where we get the word uh, uh, typewriter from. It has the idea of typos or a typewriter. And, and, and if you, you kids that don't know what that is, that's your phone where the letters come up at the bottom and you push those things and then it shows up on the screen. <laughs> that's still like a typewriter. You push a T, a T shows up. Amen. In my case, I got fat thumbs. Sometimes it's S. I don't know. But the thing of it is is that you're to be a type to other people would you say that you are the type of Christian that would draw other men to Christ Jesus? Would you say that's the life that you're leading? He said in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth. But notice what he says. They can't despise your youth if you follow this pattern, guys. He said, But be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation in charity and spirit in faith and purity. He said, there are some things that you need to follow and no man can despise your youth then if you follow this pattern and you become a pattern for others to follow. And so when they look to you, they're looking at this. Your teaching should demonstrate uncorruptness, purity in life and lifestyle, gravity. That's respect and character, sincerity. That's genuineness in your Christian faith. And then he tells you, and here it comes again, (laughs) You ought to underline this in your Bible. Now he's talking about sound speech. What did he tell the first men? But speak those things which become sound what? Doctrine. What does he tell these young guys? Be sound in your speech, what you're talking about, right? Be sound in it. And so be healthy and wholesome in your talk. And when he says sound speech that cannot be condemned, he's saying this, language that cannot be criticized, the way you're talking can't be criticized because what you're speaking about is not something that someone else would criticize you for. And I believe that means what kind of things you are talking about. What are you having conversations about that would not bring condemnation upon your life? I would say it would probably be healthy, sound doctrine. Would you agree, fellas? <laughs> That'd be the kind of things that you'd hear coming out of their mouth that they couldn't be condemned for. If they're talking to someone else about Christ, or they're talking about the Scriptures, or they're talking about how to live a faithful Christian life, those are things that cannot be condemned. And so, he tells you to have that kind of language. And notice this. This is powerful. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. He simply said this. uh, This will serve a purpose of shaming and silencing those who aren't following your example. You're doing the right things, and it'll put others to shame, not in a a bad way, but in a very positive way. And and he's saying that it's shaming and silencing those who do not follow your example, that if he is of the contrary, he may be ashamed, but he can't say anything about you, (laughs) because your language and what you're speaking about and the things that you're saying cannot be condemned, (laughs) because you're speaking things that are sound speech. (laughs) You're speaking those things that are good. Titus is told to exhort, encourage servants. And I just want to encourage you in this area as we end the message tonight about these folks. And you know, folks, um, my pastor used to work for the federal government, and uh, he worked at Dahlgren, and, and he said, you know, he said, he was so conscientious as a state man. He said, I, I used to remember, I was walking out one day, and I had one of the pens in my pocket, and on the pen, it says, this is property of the federal government. And you say, it ain't no big deal, it's just a pen. But in his heart, he was convicted about taking that pen outside that place because it wasn't his. And and here's the thing. Titus uh, is being told by Paul, he said, Titus, uh, you know, exhort, encourage servants to be obedient unto their masters. Be submissive, be subordinate. Listen to what, what you're being asked to do. And uh, as you do that, it's for the purpose of to please Him well in all things, and and it's to have a good work ethic. You know, when you're at work, you ought to be working. Would you agree, folks? When you're at work, you ought to work. If if I go over to Brother Chris's house and he says, "Now, uh, Brother Warnick, listen, I'm going to go ahead and pay you to to help milk these cows," I say, "Okay." I say, "Jim, get with them cows," and I'm outside on my phone. <laughs> Brother Warnick, what are you doing? Well, I'm making sure Jim's doing his job. I got some things I got to do here. Is that being earnest in my work? (laughs) I had an experience here in town. Now, it's changed dramatically, and I go back there to eat now. Not that the food is great, but, you know, it's Pizza Hut. (laughs) We went over there one night, and when I walked into Pizza Hut, and we walked in, and and, uh, as I walked into the place, and And this is what, how many times have you walked into something and you thought to yourself, as soon as you walked through the door, I should just turn around and leave. You ever been there? You thought, you had that thought in your head, I I just need to turn around and go. (laughs) So when I walked in, I remember there was nobody at the front. The door felt like it was locked, so they come over and unlock the door. Well, it was only like 7 o'clock. I don't even know why the door was locked. So then the girl lets us in, and so she lets us in, and she goes, go ahead and sit wherever you want. (laughs) That should have caused me to leave right there. right no. And uh, So as I walk in, I'm looking, and there is salad all around the salad bar on the floor. And as we get over to the table, I had to work, walk over top of garbage that was laying on the floor. This is at our pizza hut in New Bremen over here. And I, I went over and I sat down at the table, and I told Anita, I said, you know, I really, I really feel like we ought to just go. You know what I mean? And the reason I wanted to go at this point is because there was now a uh, bucket sitting up on the counter where they're getting ready to make pizzas. That bucket was the mop bucket. (laughs) And there were chemicals sitting on the counter. No one has come to take our order yet, and I could see a girl in the back doing this. Now, whether she was playing candies or very fast at texting, I'm not sure. (laughs) But they weren't really interested that we were there. So I just want to ask you something. If you ordered... uh, what's, What's the crust that we get, guys? What's that crust called? Thick crust, right? And your pizza comes out as thin as the spatula that you're about to pick it up with. Do you think you got robbed? And she brought it out and set it down on the table. I said, We didn't order that. She goes, Yeah, you did. That's what she said to me. I said, No, I didn't. And you know, you do you ever get to that place where you're just ready to say, you know what? I'm calling it quits, I'm out of here. And I still hung in there, thinking somehow or another, this is all gonna change in some moment. <laughs> In some twinkling of the eye. <laughs> and I remember just sitting there thinking to myself, no work ethic at all. They didn't care. And I wrote to Pizza Hut, and I don't normally do this, I wrote a letter to them. And I said, something has to change over here. And I told them all about it. And they said, thank you for your input here is a coupon for one free large pizza. I wrote him back and I said, you missed the point of the message. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. We ought to have a work ethic when we go to work, shouldn't we? We ought to have a work ethic about us. We ought to be willing to go in and it ought to be something that you do. And he said, not answering again. You know what that is, folks? Not disputing and contradicting your boss. Not talking back to them when they ask you to do something. Why didn't you ask Henry to do it? You asked me to do it all the time. And the thing of it is, is he just said not to get in that mode. And here it is. This then is to be done not by purloining, holding back, stealing, or misappropriating anything. He said, don't be taken from your boss. Don't be taken from your masters. Don't do that. And if you steal from work, shame on you. Don't do that. That's not right. And you say, well, it's just a pen or it's just a tablet or it's just a little bit of fuel or it's just this, it's just that. It's just $100 the boss had laying on the desk. He won't even remember it's gone. So how far do you go? And the thing of it is, is that he said, be honest when you're at work. Be an honest, hardworking individual. And we're missing some of that today. We're missing some of that today. When you demonstrate this life or this lifestyle, young man, it demonstrates good fidelity. It says it displays good faithfulness. Faithfulness and trust is what it displays. Not always because the other person deserves it, but you're doing it because you want to be that kind of man. Are you with me, fellas? You hear what I'm saying, boys? It's because you're going to do right because it's the right thing to do. Now, when you, they behave in this manner, it will serve a heavenly purpose. Notice this, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Adorn is to make it beautiful, to decorate it up and make it dressed up. <laughs> it makes it look good. It makes the Word of God look good. And you think about this, that's a heavenly purpose. And they're adorn the doctrine of God their Savior in all things. No matter what you are doing or where you are, you elevate Christ when you behave in a manner that is of sound speech. All of us have a responsibility then, don't we? The aged men, the aged women, and the young men.